All right. For those of us in this room, we are in John chapter 12. John chapter 12. We're going to do an overview of this and then head right into 13. We've already talked about um, quite a lot of this chapter already. So let's go to uh, chapter 12 and verse, verse 37. Even after Jesus had performed so many signs in her presence, they still would not believe in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet. Lord, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason, they could not believe because as Isaiah says elsewhere, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts nor turn and I would heal them. Jesus said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him couple of things here which are troublesome frankly in the in the phrasing of this the phrasing makes it look like God wouldn't let people believe doesn't it now first of all if that's the way God operates he's allowed to because he's God right and we see elsewhere like in Romans where he's it's, it's actually pretty terrifying where he says Abel I loved and Cain I hated, I'm God. In other words, I, I pick. What we may not quite understand is that this is a different situation. This is a one-off situation. In that, um, well, let me, let me switch it and do it another way. In the Old Testament, there's, there's a lot of violence. I, I do not believe that it is as bloody as people think. Uh, first of all, Semitic people have war talk. You know, kill them all, kill the women, kill the children, and they don't. There is war talk. Second, I'm not sure that all the things that they said they were going to do, God told them to do. Uh, there, I believe that there was some misunderstanding there. Also, if you notice quickly, um, uh, rather, if you notice carefully, they will say that they wiped out a tribe, and three chapters later, that tribe's there. You have to understand the Semitic mindset. But there is blood and it must be accounted for. And the way I look at it is this. We still have Jews today, which is a marvel of sociology and history. Because the other tribes that were around them, we don't have. You know, the Phoenicians, the Sea People, as uh, most historians call them now, it wasn't just the Phoenicians, it would be the Philistines as well. Um, they were actually a cultured people. They gave us much of our alphabet. Uh, they helped us with numerals. But they weren't God's people and they disappeared. The Bo Moabites, the Ammonites, I mean, can we keep going forever on this? The Jebusites and such, they're gone. The Jews are here. God had to keep the Jews here for Jesus to be born. It had to happen. If Jesus is not born, all people are lost. Every one of them. Is it right for one person to be sacrificed 
to save many. We'd have to say, what are the conditions, right? We're not going to say that blindly. We're not going to throw a kid into a volcano to save the tribe. But in this instance, I have to tell you, you do believe that because unless you're a pacifist, in which case, gotcha. We support a military. They put on uniforms. We send them. When George Bush the second George Bush was in office, I cannot remember who said it, but it hit me with a thud because our son was in the Marine Corps at the time. They, cause, uh, and, uh, somebody had asked them, is the nation tired of being at war? And the answer, and I don't think it was Bush, I don't remember who said it, but somebody here probably does. The answerer said, America didn't go to war. The military went to war. America went to the mall. And oh my goodness, did that hit me. I wasn't alive during World War II, but I've heard, I've, I, I'm a voracious reader, and I listen to people's stories carefully. I love stories. And I hear about how everybody sacrificed. You, you, the tire for your, uh, the rubber for your tires was too precious to be used. So you had to park your vehicle. No, don't use petrol, don't use gasoline. You had to grow a victory garden, if you remember those, on and on and on. The nation was at war. But the last war, the nation didn't go. We sent somebody to do that for us. Play with that in your head for a while and come back to this. Is it justified then to use a sword to protect a child when that child, their existence, gives all of humanity a chance at survival? It's one of those questions that we don't have to answer. But God saved Israel, the Jews. I think we also still have Jews because I believe God chose them, loved them, and gave them promises. You know, I, I don't believe God discarded them after Jesus. I don't know all of what God's feeling about the Jews are. Um, I certainly love the Jews, and most of the Jews I've met love me right back. That's not the issue. I'm saying I don't know what God's plans are, but he seems to awfully, you know, still love the Jews. So, okay, good. All the other tribes went away. I'm saying all that to say this. There are times where you have to take measures to protect what is necessary. God has the right, and he says it in Romans, and it is very chilling, to love who he loves and shut down the others for the greater good of all. And that's frightening, and I would not accept that from any president or Supreme Court. But when God says it, I have to back up and say, I submit, God, but you know, let the will of God be done. As Job says, even if he destroys me, I will still love him. I, we have to just trust in the ultimate goodness of God. But I, am, I would never, never lie to you and say that this passage does not trouble me. It troubles me. You know, the easiest way to get around it is that John was mistaken, that those passages don't mean that God did it, but rather that he allowed it to occur. I used to preach that, and I used to preach that when it said God did something, it just really meant he allowed it to happen. 
I, I'm really out of that position now. And I'm now embracing the mystery of saying, I don't know. Yes, Dale. Exactly. In Exodus, uh, the scripture plainly says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And again, I used to preach because we were in that business of always uh, stripping out all mystery and getting the answers. Uh, that, that What that meant was that God pulled back and allowed Pharaoh's heart to be hard. That just does some damage to the, the, the language there. And so again, I embrace the mystery and say, I don't know what you did there, God. I don't know why, but if God does it, I have to accept it. But I don't know really what he did. And I know that, that sounds like I've gone wishy-washy. It actually isn't. It means I've found a place to land in all of this and saying, I don't know. I don't know all the ins and outs. I am completely, and I know this sounds like a preacher thing, I am completely stunned at the blessings God has given me. There are people that go to college and go to seminary and then get doctors and ministry and, and the like, and they've devoted their whole life. And when I sit down beside them and listen to them, my spirituality compared to theirs is a drop in the air an ocean. I'm just stunned. And yet, he lets me work for him. And he's given me a beautiful wife, two amazing kids, almost said, and another kid. No, we only had two. Two amazing kids, five perfect grandkids. And I look at him and I go, why? And then you read scripture and it says, I choose who I choose. It's not up to you. You didn't do it. You have to embrace the mystery of God. A man I, I read a lot of and I listen to his podcast and I really appreciate Peter Enns, E-N-N-S. He's helped me a lot. I would direct you to him on that. But one of his books, maybe a year and a half, two years ago, The Sin of Certainty. You might want to look into that. I used to be certain about everything and I was wrong about much of it. Uh, I, we, I just moved back into my office and once again, I start looking at old sermon files and I'm going, I said that. I had a lady email me this week, said, I was watching videos of you on YouTube, preaching videos. By the way, I don't put up any of those. Churches do it. I don't get any money off of it. I didn't ask for any. I'm not looking for it. Here's what I'm trying to say. Some things I thought and said then I wouldn't think and say now, but they're out there. And she goes, and I found one from 2000. I'm going, no, no, no. Just shoot me in the head. Uh, and she said, you were telling the same stories then. I heard you tell. And I went, okay, good. Whew, dodged a bullet. I am staggering my way through, and yet God is not letting go of me. And I don't understand that. He has every right to quit leading me. And I know that too. Right now, Psalm 139, I love the way it, it opens with God, with David saying, you've got your right hand on me, you've got the other arm around me, guiding me. I love that image. We don't have a live microphone for you, Dr. Lemons, and I'm sorry, but if ever you want to chime in, we'd invite you to the front and, and I'll hand you my handset. You, 
Well, we can see if it's on. We don't have any support up top today. I'm just going to see. No, that's all right. I'm sorry. Oh, hang on. It lights up, but we don't get anything. They don't have a switch up there thrown. I believe that God does continue to have a special place in his heart for the Jews. And by the way, this is one of the reasons why we ask you to, to gather, because uh, it would help. And those of, who listen online to this class, I'm not going to repeat it. He, uh, Dr. Lemons just came down and said, Patrick is a fantastic speaker, and everything he says, he agrees with. And you hear laughter in the background. Uh, we, we will sort this out. And, I, and again, the noises from outside are more because people are being shoved into groups by all of this. And we apologize, but it means we get to keep our building. If you don't know this, if you don't do a certain amount to keep it up, and we hadn't, we kept saying, we'll do it another time. That's why it got critical. We had to meet with the mayor a couple times. The mayor wants us here. There are ways a city can come in and say, this isn't up to code, this isn't good, and we're going to have to take over your property um, for the good of the area. Nobody ever hinted that that's coming. We had a couple of our men that are convinced that that is coming. So we're fixing things so we can be here for another few generations. Right? So again, thank you for your, your patience in all of this. I... When people ask me about this, all I can say is, if you are talking about Jesus, you're not in this. You weren't hardened and driven away. God has not given up on you because he's still knocking on your door. 
You know, the famous painting, I don't know by who, maybe somebody here does, of Jesus knocking on the door at night. Uh, whenever it was put out, the story is that the, the people that commissioned the painting told the famous painter, um, you, you forgot to put, a, not a doorknob, it would have been a handle, a latch here. And the response was, it only opens from the inside. In other words, Jesus knocks on the heart, but we have to open it. He cannot open it. I don't agree with that. I think he can. Uh, as someone who's drug out and kind of hit around the head with faith, I think he can, he, can, he can kick the door in. At the same time, look here. Verse 42, at the same time, many, even among the leaders, believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved human praise more than praise from God. Once again, I'm with him until that last phrase. And then I think, John, that's awfully harsh. It may be true, but it's also very harsh. We, when we send our kids out to university, they learn pretty quickly what can be said and what cannot be said. What is, because the universities are not free speech zones. In work, they learn that as well. I have members of the church, I'd say every year, three or four will come to me with the same problem. And that is, they'll say, I, you know, I see this going on at work and I want to talk about it, but we're not allowed to talk about religion. And my response to them is, those are the rules of your workplace. Love everybody, talk about it off-site. Bring them in off-site. When I go up to the Ohio State University to teach my courses, the next thing I think is in, in August, I'm very often uh, asked, well, wait, on the bio here, you're, you're a neuroscientist, we got that, that's why you're here, but you're a pastor? How, does, how do you gel that? And my response is always, when the big hand gets to this, the little hand gets to that, I'll answer that question. The reason is, not a free speech zone here. If I, sent, if I were sending a kid to university today, my, my teaching to them would be, it's not your job to tell everybody what you think and to correct anything you think the teacher says that is wrong. It is your job to get the degree. Then you can talk. Then you can respond. And that's kind of hard, but here, if you're put out of the synagogue, you're out of their life. That's pretty harsh. Yes, sir. That's, that's a brilliant point that I should have made. Thank you, Dr. Lemons. You can resist God to the point where he stops. If you will not believe, like verse 37, later on they could not believe. I was talking to Gary uh, Schrader this morning, uh, uh, and he was talking about Brad's spirituality. Those of you that maybe are visitors or like, Brad is 27 years old, he is uh, autistic, and he's, he's not on the um, real functioning side of autism. He's, he's deep in and, the, and very limited in his function. We all love Brad. Brad 
uh, he was talking about his uh, spirituality, about everything is very simple. You know, God speaks to me, and this is what God wants. Like, and Gary said he has, he has to work hard sometimes because his head tries to overrule his heart when it comes to spirituality. And he asked me if I understood what that meant. I said, you're talking to me? In Colorado, every night was a light show. When the sun goes down behind the Rockies, uh, the front range there, and then the sky turns brilliant colors you don't see most places on the planet. And you'd be with people that would say, who could look at that and say there is not a God? And I'm thinking, well, there's an upsweep of wind off of the west. It picks up dust particles. Whenever it hits, and I'm going, oh, yes, God painted a pretty sky. Sometimes you, I have to fight not to intellectualize everything. Please don't, I'm not calling myself intellectual. I hope you understand what I mean. Trying to talk away faith by finding another story. Because I know there are enough holes in the universe and in our knowledge for God. And I can't disqualify him. And I've got to, I've got to deal with the reality of God. We do have to be careful. It is... I don't know how personal to get here. Um, my father died without being able to see the grace and joy in Christianity. Because he would not. He, he was hard line, old school, Church of Christ. 1940s, 1950s era. Foy Wallace Jr. era. And he would not hear anything else. I tried three different times in my life, three different ways, to reach my father. One was just over his denun denunciation of Christmas. He would preach against Christmas in July as a Catholic plot, uh, pagan roots and such. I wrote him a three-page letter saying, I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you, but here's why I think you're in error, and here's where I think we've gone wrong. He would not, he would not speak to me for over six months. If I called and he picked up the phone and heard my voice, he would lay it down. And Mama, if she found it, would come talk to me a little bit. You could, he would not hear. He had it, his faith was handed to him in the 1950s, and he would not hear. So I'd be reading the book, and he'd look and see that it was a theology or a Bible thing. And he'd say, who wrote it? And I'd tell him, he'd say, is he a member of the Church of Christ? Well, usually not. And he would say, why are you reading that then? Even at the end of his life, here he's in second stage Alzheimer's, but he was having a day where he was present, blind. But I'm talking to him about the grandsons because I'd just come from where they'd won these games and they're having such a great time. And he said, well, I don't even want to hear about games and winning. What I want to know about is, is do they know their Bible? Two months later, he's dead. He never allowed himself the joy. Never. Breaks my heart. Breaks my heart. When I cry over the loss of my father, it's not because he's dead. It's because of the lost opportunities for life. The lost opportunities for joy. A lady told me this morning, she said, my, my kids are listening. I'm sorry that they wiggle so much. I said, God put wiggle in kids. Don't take it out. They're only little ones. Let them. 
Did you notice the first few songs? Of course you noticed. It was loud in here with the kids. You have a church where you don't hear kids, you got a dead church. Let them, right? But there are churches that will lock it down. And what happens? The kids leave. They're gone. Would not, I'm sorry, could not, I see, would not does lead to could not. And thank you so much, Brother Lemons, for bringing that up. Then Jesus cried out, whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. Now, this is important. Let me explain. It's Semitic, the way he's speaking. If you want God, you've got to take Jesus. It's a package deal. Uh, back when I used to do counseling, I don't now, don't come in. Because I, I, I don't have a life where I can offer you every Thursday at 2. All right? If I did, I would. You know, one-offs, two-offs, I do those all the time. But that's not counseling. That's just meeting with your minister. And I'll direct you to a counselor who's a professional and do it right. But when I read, ran that, that clinic work out of the Lancaster Church of Christ, uh, I remember one young man. We did premarital counseling. And he ends, he's sitting there. And a nice guy. Nice guy now. And he was just stupid. And we all are. We all are in different ways, right? Because I said, now, how do you get along with her mom and dad? And he smiled and said, well, it's all right. But I'm not marrying them. I'm marrying her. Oh, you poor, poor idiot. You are in for a surprise. I leaned forward and I said, it's a package deal. If you marry somebody who is divorced, which is fine. I wouldn't forbid marriage. Uh, that's a doctrine of demons, according to Paul. You have to be aware that her ex or his ex is still out there and this will be a part of your life. This, you, it's a package. You don't have to like it. It's there. And Jesus is looking at people saying, you want God but you don't want Jesus. It doesn't happen. Whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one that sent me. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. That, my friend, is a Cliff's Notes version of Hebrews chapter 1. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen God. And I would submit to you that that's the best news you're going to hear all day. I've said this before, perhaps you weren't here. When I was a boy, God was angry. And God was fed up with sin. And he had to kill somebody and Jesus took it. And that satisfied him a bit, but he's still angry. And so Jesus, the devil is a prosecutor, and Jesus speaks on our behalf. People, we're not on trial. It's not like Jesus has to hold, go, Dad, Dad, step back. Jesus says it, and the writer of Hebrews says it, and it's not expressed, but it is undertoned elsewhere. If you've seen Jesus, that's what God looks like sounds like, acts like. A God that stops for children. A God that elevates women, especially in that society where they were not. A God who gives us the name of a first century beggar. That always gets, his name was Bartimaeus. Are you kidding? Name four emperors. Unless you're a history buff, you're not going to be able to. But we know the name of a blind beggar. He made it in the Bible. That's staggering to me. 
So you might feel like you have no status at all on the planet. You do with God. Because you did with Jesus, and that's what God looks like and acts like. Is this not good news? This is why there's not a trial scene on Judgment Day. Jesus just separates and says, come on in. And that's tremendous, and it's good news. I have come into the world as a light. That's John's theme, light and darkness. Read chapter 1 again. So that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. Let's talk about that. Does that mean we will know everything? When Patrick just said, The Sin of Certainty is a great book by Peter Enns, and uh, that I'm embracing mystery. No, he's not saying there is no darkness. He is saying now you know the contrast between darkness and light. Head toward light. That's the world now. If you want to come to him, you see light. Back in chapter 1, it will even say the world didn't want light. It wanted darkness, so it stayed in darkness. So there's plenty of darkness out there. He goes on, if anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge that person, but I, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn them at the last day. Let's stop right there and C.S. Lewis, I know I quote him a lot, but there's, without C.S. Lewis, I would not be standing here. Um, oh, I got to tell you, Mark Howard, he and his bride went on a trip to Europe and they went to England went into Lincolnshire and uh, stayed with a friend there who just down the street is C.S. Lewis's house. So would you like to have a tour? Yes. And Mark assumed there'd be a line out the door. C.S. Lewis is pretty much unknown in Breton. Huge impact here. You don't find anybody who knows him there. And even on the day he died, it didn't make the papers because the day he died was also the day JFK was assassinated. And so that took all the headlines so even his passing wasn't remembered. So they get there, they're the only ones, and a tour guide brings them into C.S. Lewis's living room, has them sit down and say, let's start with tea. And they're having tea and sandwiches in C.S. Lewis's living room, and they're going, <laughs> you know, I, I'm going, yeah, thanks, now I have jealousy and anger issues to repent of. Anyway, he, his phrase has haunted me. He said, no one breaks the commands of God. They go against those commands, and the commands break them. Hmm. I've spent the last 40 years working that through my brain. Well, that's, a, that's a, the last 30 years working that through my brain. But isn't it true that breaking God's commands hurts us? There's no way to put this. The commands are good for us. You know, I, Cammie and I, if, if the Lord allows us to live... Um, next month, we'll celebrate our 40th anniversary. We don't live in fear. She travels sometimes, uh, not as much as she used to, but she used to travel for her interior design business, and I travel a lot, and yet we're not afraid that affection will be lost because we, we know the rules, and we, we keep the rules. I can remember back in the AIDS uh, epidemic years, they would, um, they would constantly, they'd say, this could happen to anybody. And I'm going, I don't want it to happen to anybody, but it can't just happen to anybody. 
there are specific ways this happens. I'm not saying intravenous drug users, who were by far the biggest number of victims of this, and, and male homosexuals deserve what they get. Please don't, don't, don't hear me that way. My heart breaks for all of them, and I think we ought to pour our money, time, and hospitality into them. All right? What I'm saying is, it was a symbol of when we're not following the commands, we hurt ourselves because God gave us the commands so we could be happy. He wanted us to be joyful, and so he showed us this is the safe path. But if you do this, it'll hurt you. And Jesus is saying, listen, I'm not here to judge you. If you hear my, my words and you keep them, things go well. But if you don't, the reality of the universe breaks you. You understand what I mean by that? God did not, I, yes, I heard a couple of preachers, not in churches of Christ, thank God, that said AIDS was an epidemic brought to punish homosexuals. My response was, then he has terrible aim because he's hitting a whole lot of people who aren't. And that did not endear me to the situation. Yes, Tim. That's beautiful. I love that. I'm going to claim I said it. Uh, Tim says he saw on the wall, uh, wall somewhere, there is, say it again for me, there is no reward or punishment. There is no punishment or reward in nature, only consequences. Dr. Dodge, a member here, is also my family doctor, and he recommended that I read a book called The Body Keeps the Score. Now, he and I are friends, and he respects my, my lane. Uh, so he's not going to look at me and say, Patrick, you're being an idiot. But here's a book. <laughs> and the book will tell you this. <laughs> and so I'll read the book. And, and you know, I, I'm, I'm, I come from a family that when we look up a definition in Webster, and it's not what we say, we shut it and say, well, that's one man's opinion. So it's tough for me to, be, to receive instruction. Uh, it's, yeah, there are consequences in nature. The way I put it very often, nature is not neutral. Nature gets a vote. And you have to remember it. There is a judge, and he, he puts it out there. He goes, I did not speak on my own, but my father who sent me, the father who sent me, commanded me to say all I've spoken. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the father has told me. I would suggest that you show this passage, verse 47 to 50, to people who say God sends them to hell. No. What else could God do to keep you from it? We send ourselves places. Now what I'm going to say here, I don't want to be hurtful, but I had the feeling it might be. And so if I hurt anybody, please talk to me. Don't, don't let it go. Uh, please talk to me. When my wife and I were in West Virginia, there were, where we were in Morgantown was kind of a bubble. West Virginia University is there. More students than residents at that time. Um, brilliant. Lovely. We were there, I don't know, nine years or so, and I had a great time. But outside, there were some poor people. And as the Appalachian people will tell you, poor folk got poor ways. And there were some struggles we had with some of the poor ways. One of the members of the church that uh, 
never made it to church the whole time I was there, but she had evidently before I'd been. We'd go and keep visiting. Very, 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 very heavy, diabetic. By her side was a punch bowl by her bed. Punch bowl of snack-sized Snickers, Kit Kats, Milky Ways. And she's not supposed to have any. And she would go on and on about how miserable she was and how much she hurt. Well, she's sitting there eating candy and I'm looking at her. And every time I come, there's less of her because they're having chopped bits off. And again, you can follow all the rules and still have to have chopped. Diabetes is awful, awful. But the point is, she was self-inflicting. At the emergency room once, we heard the doctor talking to her. Now there's a curtain. We're standing right there, HIPAA. Was not, was not kicking in at that stage. And the doctor was saying, well, do you do this? Well, no, I don't like that. Well, have, have you tried this? Well, I do that. You know, I don't eat that stuff. It gives me gas. And, and just, but she wanted this medicine. And he kept saying, but it won't help you because you won't change. Nature's not neutral. This afternoon, uh, I'll take Cammie to eat because she's pretty. I do it almost every Sunday, but I'm telling her today it's for Mother's Day. Just go with, the, go with it. She chose a place to eat. If I overeat, there'll be a consequence. If I eat too much salt, there'll be a consequence. If I don't eat, there's a consequence. Jesus is saying, I didn't come down here to give you laws so that you'd go to hell if you broke them. I'm trying to show you how not to be broken. And that's a real different kind of message than we normally get from pulpits. So please remember where this was. You got five minutes. Most of you know this story already. Just before Passover, Jesus knew the hour had come for him to leave this world and to the Father. Wait, did he leave that hour? No. Use the language that people used the way they used it. Hour just meant this was, it was coming. This is the time. He knew he'd put all things in his power. And that's very important. Verse 3. All things under his power. That he had come from God. He was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, and washed the disciples' feet. (coughs) Because he knew who he was. He had no problem serving in the lowest position. Don't lose the word so. The word so is one of those fantastic English words. It is just amazing. Um, he knew who he was. I, back during the Kung Fu phase, you remember that one? Uh, and everybody took three karate lessons so they'd be ready. It's amazing. You could always tell somebody who was on their third lesson, you know. You'd say, pass the salt, and they'd go, oh, yeah, no. Well, I, I was in a place once where a master had come from Japan, I guess it was, um, wearing a red belt. And, they, and I, I asked what that signified, and they told me, that's that, you know, you can go black belt, black belt, and then red belt's the absolute bet. And I was thinking, wow, we're going to get a real show here. No. He sat quietly, talked quietly. And I asked somebody later, I said, he's going to do a demonstration. And they said, he didn't have to. We all know what he can do. And he doesn't have to because he knows who he is. That stuck with me. Uh, I was going, 
huh, that's interesting stuff. I saw an illustration that I, I, I'm hard on my dad when I need to be hard on him, but he did a lot of good things. And he taught me many good things. And I can remember one Thanksgiving, I have no idea how old I was. I, most of my past is a fuzz. It's that way on purpose. I worked hard at that. But I'm going to say I was probably 10 or 12 or 13 years old. And there's a Thanksgiving, um, and they, uh, the, the preacher, we were at a preacher's house that was having Thanksgiving meal and invited us. Uh, and he had invited a young airman, a uh, brand new Air Force guy. Uh, he didn't have any stripes or medals. And he, he couldn't go home to be with his family, so he came. And my dad was talking to him, and you asked him what he thought about this, that, and what his job would be. And, and the young man started telling my dad about why planes can fly and how amazing it is. And he even asked for paper and pencil, and they got that for him so he could draw an airfoil shape for him and show how the path of air above and all this. I was dying. My father's a pilot. He, in the Navy, was an avionics tech, so he wasn't a pilot then. But he flew, and his job was to keep them in the air, so he knew how to keep things in the air. And he never let on. He kept, and he would even ask questions. And the guy, afterwards, I went up to him and I said, why? And his response was, he was a young man far from home. He needed to tell somebody who he was and what he knew. That was impressive. Dad knocked that one out of the park. Uh, again, my father's not a cartoon. There were a lot of things that were great. And there were some things that were not. That's what people are. All right? So again, Jesus knows who he is. He doesn't have to bang on the table and say, Listen, I'm Almighty God for goodness sake. Or, I'm Almighty God for my sake. You know, I, don't, you know, I don't know how you'd phrase that. And you guys aren't, won't even walk around and make us comfortable. You're arguing and not getting the food going. He had every right to do that. Or just to, by miracle, clean everybody's feet. That was an option. And they would have all gone around going, oh, this is amazing. It would have made the Gospels. He didn't do that. Because he knew who he was because of that. So he got up and washed their feet. I find it fascinating. Nobody says anything until they get to Peter. Peter speaking does not fascinate me. I would expect he would. That's who Peter is. And he says, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus says, you don't know what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. And Peter's going, no, you'll never wash my feet. Jesus, I think, must have had a little bit of an anger in his ed edge in his voice. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And Simon Peter's going, okay, wash everything you want, head to toe. I, and I don't, I don't mean for you to think that this is the way it happened, but I do. I think Jesus walked around with a look on his face, and that's why nobody brought it up. Grabbing <laughs> the foot in water and washing it a little enthusiastically. And then he gets to Peter, and Peter's going, no, this isn't necessary. You know, I know who you are. And, and Jesus goes, if I don't wash you, I have no part of you. Okay. Head to toes, okay. Jesus would have been emotionally taunt at this stage. We ought, give him his humanity. This was terrifying, what he was about to go through. We'll pick that up next week, Lord willing. 